You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast from March 20th, 2022, the third Sunday in Lent. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Garnsey. It's based on Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. I happened to be reminded of Flannery O'Connor this week when I read somewhere her birthday is this Wednesday. She lived only 39 years as she died of lupus in 1964. But even in her short life, she became one of the great fiction writers of the 20th century. O'Connor was an unapologetic Catholic Christian, and in two novels and dozens of short stories, her characters exposed the limitations of human perception against a backdrop of the awesome fate that awaits us all. Her most famous story, A Good Man is Hard to Find, ends in a confrontation between a serial killer who calls himself the misfit and a grandmother who has always felt morally superior just by her virtue of being a southern lady. These two, the grandmother and the misfit, lead antithetical lives, hers as a sentimental, self-righteous, and judgmental woman, and his as a remorseless killer. But here at the end of the story, they each experience a surprise brush with divine grace as they face each other. Just before he is about to kill her, the misfit wells up with an anguished and cathartic confession about all the suffering he has witnessed and caused, and how he knows he will be judged for it. O'Connor writes that the grandmother's head clears for an instant, and she realizes, even in her limited way, that she is responsible for the man before her. She, she is joined to him by ties of kinship, which have their roots deep in the mystery she has been merely prattling about so far. That is, up to now, she had only ever prattled in cliches, such as, God is love, and always with an air of judgment towards others who were always less insightful than she was. But in an instant of divine revelation, and though the misfit has her at gunpoint, the lady takes him by his shoulders and says, you're one of my babies, you're one of my own children, in an unwitting imitation of God himself. And it serves as the one and only time she sees the appalling reality of her unenlightened life for what it is. The misfit shoots her anyway, and then he is left to grapple with her dying words. When one reviewer criticized O'Connor and her work for its gothic, grotesque overtones and its emphasis on sin and religion, O'Connor said, To the hard of hearing, shout, and for the almost blind, draw large and startling figures. In Luke, that's just what Jesus does. His teaching shouts to the hard of hearing and draws images for the almost blind. Jesus walked through, Ga through Judea and Galilee, teaching and healing, offering parable after parable, saying after saying, to speak urgency to his listeners about the shortness of life and the nearness of God's kingdom and the urgent call to take part in it. He taught about the rich fool who builds bigger and bigger barns so he can hoard his many possessions and then blithely says to himself, 
Now, for many years, I can eat, drink, and be merry. And that very night, death comes for him. Jesus taught about servants keeping busy with their lamps lit, lest their master return at any moment and find them idle. With these and many other illustrations in Luke, Jesus hammers home that our time is short. Wake up, wake up. Don't miss what the kingdom of God has waiting for you right here, right now. Don't wait until you die to realize it. And in our gospel today, Jesus draws on recent events in Jerusalem that shout tragedy and evoke large and startling imagery to drive home his point that death comes for everyone, and sometimes without warning, and not just for characters in parables, but for anyone, and emphatically not because God is punishing them. It's just the capricious nature of being alive on this earth that we all risk our lives being cut short, whether by accident or by others' evil designs. I keep a small white plastic bird on the screen ledge of my exercise bike at home. Once in New York, when Charlie was only three, a garbage truck rushed a yellow light just as Charlie began to cross the street on his scooter. In a nanosecond, I was able to snatch him with one arm out of the intersection as the garbage truck smashed his scooter to smithereens. Charlie was spared, and when I recovered my bearings, I saw the little plastic bird lying on the sidewalk. It was the pull tab from the bell on his scooter, all that was left of it. And I keep it as a tiny talisman to remind me of how lucky we are every day to be alive. This tiny object is my shout, lest I become hard of hearing, my large and startling image when I become almost blind. Our world, unfortunately, is filled with tragedies and injustices that shout at us and bring large and startling images before our eyes with their untold suffering and unwarranted death. The war in Ukraine is only the latest and most immediate example, brought to us by a bloodthirsty dictator who has been on the rise in plain sight for 20 years. The pandemic came to our shores after it had been spreading abroad for some time. We weren't paying much attention until it brought our own daily rhythms to a screeching halt and took lives and livelihoods with it. Rachel Carson wrote Silent Spring in 1962. The world's climate has been getting weirder and our weather patterns getting more and more extreme in the decades since then but we remain hard of hearing and nearly blind to the climate crisis taking place in real time and the dire consequences we pay, even now, for our inaction and our unwillingness to repent and live differently. When tragedies strike, many people think it makes sense to just hunt down and kill the bad guy, and that will solve once for all the problem of war or injustice as if one more act of violence will bring a lasting peace. Funny how it never turns out that way, yet humanity keeps trying that strategy. 
Or some think it makes sense to blame the victim for tragedies, just like Jesus' listeners apparently had been doing, saying they must have sinned and offended God in some way to die such cruel deaths. To hunt bad guys and blame the victim this way is a pernicious human instinct. Not everybody has it, but it's common enough and too often driven by twisted theology. Righteous wars throughout history have been fought in the name of one god or another, whole armies sent out to kill the enemies of the god who is understood to be giving the orders. Examples of such good guy, bad guy, and victim blaming are endless. But Jesus entirely rejects these ways of thinking. He won't even touch it. He doesn't even discuss the tragic nature of the day's news stories. And it's not because he doesn't feel the pain of them, on the contrary, but because for his listeners, he can see how caught up they are and we are in blame and retributive violence and death, so much so that we are blind to, too blind to envision a better world, much less to take the fearless action it will require of us to build a better world. Unless we repent, Jesus says, our world will continue to go the way it is going and will take down with it every generation that fails to awaken into a new way of seeing and being. Repentance is such a frequently used church word, it's easy to glaze over when we hear it. It can be reduced to that momentary act of confessing our sins without really amending our lives. And while feeling remorse for our sin is very much a part of what it means to repent, it falls far short of the whole enchilada. The Greek word metanoia is a two-part word meaning change. You've heard it before. Meta, which means change, and heart or mind, noia. So repent can mean to have a change of heart or a change of mind. But the word meta means more than simply change. Now that Facebook has given itself the new name meta, and the tech industry prepares us for the fast-developing metaverse, we are seeing and hearing this word meta all the time. So we have an opportunity now to understand what meta can mean for us. Meta can mean change, but can also be translated as the verb beyond, or the adjective large. And a teacher of contemplative practice you hear me talk often about, Cynthia Bourgeau, suggests that metanoia, repentance, means to go beyond the mind or to move into a larger mind, a larger framework or operating system, into a way of perceiving that takes us beyond what our intellectual minds with our good guy, bad guy mentality into a place of much deeper perception. In this sense, it's as if Jesus is saying to his disciples, stop with your small thinking pointing at victims and perpetrators, and step into the larger mind where you will discover an entirely new landscape and an entirely new way of seeing how God is at work in the world and in each of us. God always upends our sense of justice and forgiveness and what we think it means to repent lest we perish. And he ultimately upends our relationship even with, even with death and life 
How can we get over death and all the ways we fear it so that we can actually live and spend ourselves for the life of the world like Jesus did? Jesus had no fear of his own death because it had no power over him. In one of her many great songs, Annie Lennox sings, Dying is easy, it's living that scares me to death. Sometimes this is true for us spiritually. Just as we think it's impossible to understand how death can come for a life so suddenly, we also find it nearly impossible to see how God can bring life out of death so decisively. But God does that over and over again. To repent is to open ourselves to this unbelievable reality. God can bring life out of death for us today right now, right here, before we perish without the joy of experiencing that new life. Our world, with its shouting and large, startling images of sadness and death, is desperate for people to repent in this way, in dire need of people over whom death no longer has power to make us recoil in fear and isolation from our fellow human beings. The joy, the fullness of life is ours for the taking. God gives us everything we need to move into our larger minds because the divine Christ dwells within us, ready to transform us and take us into our larger minds. There, a new life shouts for us to live it and awakens us with its large and startling joy. Joy, not the usual Lenten message, but it's what we need to hear more than ever. Repent and live. A new life waits to awaken us with large and startling joy. You can find more sermons on our website, www.stmarksnewcanon.org.